Father, thank you for your infinite heart of love. Thank you that as we come to you this morning, we don't come asking anything from you that you're not longing to give to us. Thank you that you want to speak to us this morning. Give us hearts that are open. Give us ears that are willing to hear. Jesus, come into our hearts. Touch our hearts in a special way. Lord, we ask that we wouldn't walk out of here without being changed, not by anything that I say, but by the power of Jesus Christ. Please pour out your Holy Spirit this morning. Touch our hearts. May we be more in love with Jesus when we walk away from this place. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. In Ecclesiastes, it says that two are better than one, for there is a greater reward for their work. Last Sunday, I went on a bike ride. Now, when I was younger, I used to go on bike rides, training for the bike-a-thon. I used to do some mountain biking and different things. But then there was a, a number of years where I didn't go on any bike rides at all. And I thought it, you know, I, I thought I still had it in me to, to ride my bike. So when Ron Chalker and I I was moving here to the community, he told me about all the amazing road biking there is around here. I said, well, I don't have a road bike, but he helped me out with that problem. And we've been going out road biking for the past uh, couple months since I've been here. It's been a blessing to see the beautiful countryside here. Well, the first couple of rides, Ron and I went out, just the two of us, And he was patient with me. He would sometimes get ahead of me on the climbs, but then he would wait for me. And I thought, you know, this isn't too bad, road cycling. I thought I'd be a little faster being 30 years old, and he's a little bit, a couple years older than me. I thought that I'd be able to keep up. But apparently he's faster than I am, but he has more miles in his legs, so that's okay. So I was just training and been doing, inspired to do a little bit more exercise during the week in between bike rides. You know, I need to get in shape so I can keep up. Well, I don't know, it was about three weeks ago or so that he said, okay, we're going to go with a bike club in town. I said, okay. So we got to the bike club and I found out there's three or four different rides they go on. There's the beginner ride, there's the intermediate ride, and then there's what's called the express ride. So of course, Ron wants to go on the express ride, which is the longest and fastest ride. So I said, okay, I'll do my best. I'll try to join in on this bike ride. I'll I don't promise that I'll be able to keep up. Well, we were, I don't know, maybe five miles into the ride of a 40-mile bike ride, and sure enough, I wasn't able to keep up. But Ron's very patient. He pulled back, and we rode together the rest of that ride. So a couple weeks later, I continued to train. When I was back in Texas, I actually got on a stationary bike and began just riding harder, saying, I, could, I, need, to, I need to become a better biker if I'm going to keep up with this express group. So last Sunday... Finally got to go on another ride with the express group. So as we took off, it was going pretty good. Apparently they were just riding slower. And I was keeping up for the first few miles, and it was great. I thought, this is great. Again, enjoying the countryside, not just killing myself out here riding my bike as fast as I can. It's a beautiful ride. And then all of a sudden we hit a straightaway. Now, for me, you would think that The flat part would be the easiest part, but not with these guys. These guys, when they get on a flat part of the road, they take off. And we had this headwind last Sunday. I don't know if you noticed the wind was blowing pretty hard. And it was just 
too much for me. And I was trying as best I could to keep up, but pretty soon I just drifted maybe three or four feet back. And then all of a sudden I was drifting way back and I was trying as hard as I could to catch up and I just couldn't keep up. Well, Ron pulled back and he came back and then he made this little motion behind him that I should come up close to his tire. So I I got as close to Ron as I could, and suddenly I noticed that it was a lot easier to pedal when I was really close to Ron. So I began to be able to pedal a little bit faster, and he began pedaling faster, and sure enough, as we rode together, we were able to catch up with the group. I thought, wow, this makes a huge difference. So I began to just focus on that tire in front of me. Whoever was riding in front of me, I said, I just have to stick as close as possible to this group or I'm going to get dropped. Because once I lose just five feet and the wind begins to hit me, I cannot keep up with this group anymore. Well, sure enough, another five, ten miles goes by and I get dropped again. But thankfully, another guy had had a mechanical problems, and he was trying to catch up with the group. And as he came past me, I said, I have to do whatever it takes, even if it's beyond what I think I can do. I just have to catch his tire. And I caught onto his tire, staying as close to him as possible. And sure enough, I was able to catch back up to the group. So when I got home, I said, I have to do some research on this. I pulled up a website that told me a little bit about riding uh, in a pace line, they call it. Now, in a pace line, I learned that the first person in line, well, the second person in line, it's something like 30% less resistance in an ideal pace line. And then by the time you get to the third or fourth rider, it can be as much as 40% easier to be cycling along when you're just following in the wind of these other cyclers. That's the power of riding together. That's the reward of two riding their bicycle together as opposed to just one by himself. When I was out there struggling by myself, that's how I've ridden my bike for years, but it just doesn't work the same. I learned something else too, though. It doesn't just benefit the riders in the back. You would think that they would be the ones who are getting all the reward, but it actually makes it easier for the person in the front. It's only a minuscule amount, maybe 5% at the most. But it's actually easier for both riders when they're riding together. The Bible is pretty clear about the benefit of being united. It makes all the difference in the world when we're united. Go with me to Hebrews chapter 10. Last week, we talked about the power of of looking to Jesus, how when we sit at the feet of Jesus, when we spend time in Jesus' presence, it transforms our heart, that the Holy Spirit comes into our hearts and actually takes that law that Moses was given on Mount Sinai and writes it in our heart so that we begin to truly be able to obey. We learned that true obedience only is loving obedience. It's only when our heart is following Jesus, when we're so in love with Jesus that we just want to do whatever Jesus has called us to that that is the only true obedience in our lives. In Hebrews chapter 10, it describes the promise of the new covenant that we've been talking about. Hebrews chapter 10, and we'll start in verse 15. It says, But the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us, for after he had said before. So this is the Holy Spirit talking. It's the Holy Spirit that we find that writes the law of God on our hearts. It gives us a desire to love God with all of our hearts, with all of our souls. That's what church is all about. Loving God with all of our hearts and loving our neighbor as ourself. 
Verse 16, it says, This is the covenant that I will make with them after these days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds I will write them. It says, I'll take my laws, and I'm going to actually put them in your heart so that you actually want to do what I've called you to do. I'm going to put them in your mind so that you have agreement with, with the way that I've called you to walk because it's for our benefit. It's for our good. And the closer we come in that loving relationship with Jesus, the more that we recognize that he only has our best in mind. And when he asks us to do something, it's only because it makes our life better. So he says, I'll write them in your hearts and in your minds. In verse 17, then he adds, their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now where there is remission of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. He goes on to describe what a blessed thing we have in having the high priest Jesus at our side. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, is verse 19, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is his flesh. You remember last week we talked about the veil that remains over the face of those who don't recognize that the relationship between having Jesus and loving him and obeying his law and those who have the veil removed just like Moses who was there and the glory of God was reflected in his face because he'd spent so much time in the presence of Jesus on Mount Sinai. The veil having been removed and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Saying, have our, our hearts sprinkled so that no longer are we wanting to do that old way. No longer are we wanting to go in that old path, but we actually want to follow Jesus because we love Jesus with all our hearts. Then verse 23, it says something interesting. It kind of switches gears. It says this, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Let us hold fast. Let us endure. Let us cling to the confession of our hope. Again and again in the Bible, you find that it takes endurance to walk the Christian walk. If you've been a Christian for any time, you know that it's not necessarily easy. Jesus doesn't promise that when we follow him, it's going to be smooth sailing. There may be some headwinds that come into our life. There may be some resistance that come. And so it says, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, without separating from that following in the path of Jesus, without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. It's not that we're going to have enough strength to somehow endure. It's that Jesus has enough strength to help us endure. It's that Jesus will give you the strength to endure. Verse 24, And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. So here he begins to focus on, hey, as a community, you need to be watching out for each other. You need to be looking for that person that sits two pews behind you. That person that sits on the end of the row who maybe you haven't talked to very much before. Stir one another up to love and good works. It's interesting if you read through the New Testament how often it talks about one another, how it talks about loving one another, how it talks about looking out for one another, how often it focuses on the unity that is to come in the church. 
last night we had our men's discipleship group and there was a great conversation going on when I walked in. A great conversation of encouragement where one of the older gentlemen in our church was encouraging a younger gentleman in our church just saying, you know what? Don't lose that fire. Don't lose that love for Jesus. Do whatever it takes. If you, if you need to go and attend this school where you can learn more about the Bible, whatever it takes, don't lose that love for Jesus. And when we come together like that, when we have that kind of fellowship where we're looking out for each other, we're saying, hey, I noticed that you're looking a little down. I noticed you need a little encouragement. When we have that kind of eyesight where we're not just focused on our own spiritual walk, we're not just saying it's just about me and following Jesus, but when we're looking out for others, we're going to notice when they're struggling and we're going to be able to help them out. Just like Ron pulling out of the pack and coming back, providing that assistance that I needed to get back to it. But not only does it help the person that we're watching out for, we're also going to find that that encourages us. I don't know if you've had this experience before, but when you notice that somebody's down and you're just praying for them, you're sharing a promise with them, you're reaching out to them, you're doing everything possible to lift them back up, you find that you become more in love with Jesus than before. You find that you're encouraged. You find that that promise that you shared with them suddenly means so much more to you. It's more ingrained in your mind. It's, it's more meaningful to you because you've taken the time to look out for someone else. Take the time, he says. Consider one another, to stir one another up to love and good works. We want to spur each other on to live this Christian life, to love the community. We can look out for each other and say, hey, I noticed that you have this gift. I noticed that that you have this ability to be able to minister to people in a specific way. And we can encourage each other. We can help each other to reach out and to love this community for Jesus. Then it goes on in verse 25, it says this, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. It says, don't forsake the gathering together of yourselves. Don't forsake that time where you come together and worship me. We've talked a lot about taking that time alone at the feet of Jesus and worshiping Jesus. And this is absolutely essential for our Christian walk. But the Bible is just as clear that we need that time assembling together. We need to come together on Sabbath and worship Jesus together. Being here together will give you a blessing like you can't get anywhere else. You can't just get that on Hope Channel. You can't just get that on 3ABN. But when you're here and you're face-to-face with somebody else and you get to encourage somebody else in church, it ministers to you in a powerful way. Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together, as is the manner of some. This time in Hebrews, Hebrews was probably written close to the year AD 70 and this was a time of persecution. This was a time when to be Christian wasn't easy. So to come to church was something that they would have been reticent to do. And he's saying, don't neglect this. Even though there may be some pressure, even though your family may be trying to hold you back, trying to get you not to come to church, even though there may be people in the church who've discouraged you, people in the church that you don't necessarily see eye to eye with, keep on coming to worship Jesus together. Because when you're together, you're drawn closer to Jesus than in any other way. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, encouraging each other, telling each other, hey, 
This is how I've experienced Jesus in a more powerful way. Here's something practical for your life that you might be able to have a deeper and richer experience with Jesus. We need to be in the practice of lifting each other up. I know for me, sometimes it's easy for my conversation just to be about the humdrum things of life. Have you noticed that? That we talk about anything and everything except for about our relationship with Jesus. But I want to get to the place where I notice when I see you that you're struggling. Or when you see me and you say, man, he must have had a tough week. And we can pray together and you can say, how can I encourage you? How can I be praying for you this coming week? How can I lift you up? Because the only thing that matters is following Jesus with all of our hearts. Eternity is coming so soon. Friends, how many people aren't sitting in our church today? People that used to be here with us and that maybe just began to slip out the back door of our church. And we didn't notice that they weren't here anymore. Friends that maybe you bump into in the community, it's time that we gave them an invitation to come back to church because they are missing something by not being here. It says, don't forsake the assembling together of yourselves. We're not a perfect church, but we have the promise that when we meet together, Jesus is in this place. We have the promise that we will receive a special blessing by coming together to worship Jesus. So if you bump into somebody in the community who hasn't been here for a while, give them an invitation to come back. If there's somebody that you know has some hurt feelings towards the church and you want to talk to them about that and you would like me to come with you to talk to them about that, let me know. I would love to go with you to visit a person, to say, hey, I'm sorry for what's taken place in our church in the past, but we want to invite you to come back because when we're here together, when we don't forsake the assembling of ourselves together, we receive a blessing like we can receive in no other way. Verse 25 continues, and it says, And so much the more as you see the day approaching. What is the day that it's talking about here? If you go down to verse 27, it talks about a day coming of fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation. It's talking about the day of Jesus coming, that day that we saw in Sabbath school that Elder Wilson was talking about when we'll see Jesus coming back in the clouds. That day is coming soon. And each and every day that goes by, it's that much closer. So if Paul is saying here, don't forsake the gathering of yourselves together, and we are living 2,000 years about later than he wrote this. How much more important is it for us today to be united, to come together in Christian fellowship, to not just say, hey, I can follow Jesus in myself, and it's up to you how you follow Jesus. That's not what the Christian walk is about. We need to be looking out for each other. We need to be encouraging each other. It's about, as a community, following Jesus with all of our hearts. And it's not just us here in the English church. I was speaking this morning during Sabbath school for our Spanish brothers and sisters. And there was 20, 25 gathered together up there that it's all too easy for us to forget about them, to forget about that they gather together each Sabbath to worship Jesus. Friends, we are a community. And without being a community, without being united, we cannot receive the blessing from Jesus that we would have by assembling together. I love what it says in the book, Adventist Home, page 179. 
says, picture a large circle from the edge of which are many lines all running to the center. The nearer these lines approach the center, the nearer they are to one another. It's the same in the Christian life. The closer we come to Christ, the nearer we will be to one another. The closer that you and I come to Jesus, the closer that we're going to come to each other. God is glorified as his people unite in harmonious action. The community is going to see Jesus in a richer and more powerful way as we come closer to Jesus. And the closer we come to Jesus, the closer that we will come to each other. In the book, Selected Messages, Volume 2, it says, In our separation from one another, we are separated from Christ. So it works in the opposite direction. Just like the closer we come to Christ, the closer we come together, the more that we draw away from Christ, the more that we're separated from each other. We want to press together. Oh, how many times when I have seemed to be in the presence of God and holy angels, I have heard the angel voice saying, press together, press together, press together. Do not let Satan cast his hellish shadow between brethren, press together. In unity, there is strength. When we press together, there is strength because we read about a time. In Ephesians 4, in fact, it goes on to say that we are to press on to the unity of the faith, to the perfection of Christ Jesus because we are to press on to maturity because there will be winds of doctrine blowing in the world. Friends, we can be sure that the day of the Lord is approaching, that it's coming closer and closer, and it's all too easy to be lulled into a false sense of security to think, well, it's been hundreds of years, and it's, it's probably going to be hundreds of years more. But when you look at the world around you, when you look at the news, and you see what's happened in just the past few weeks, and I don't even watch the news, I just catch blurbs now and then that, that are shared with me, but you have what's happening with China's economy. You have the biggest nation in the world. And here its economy is crashing. They're doing everything possible to stop it from crashing. They have executives uh, are banned from selling their stocks, and yet their stock market has fallen something like 30% in just a a few months. These things are going to have a massive impact on the world. And at the same time, you have people who are crying out for unity. As they look at the, the environment around us, here we are in California in a massive drought. And we we see all around the world the effects of what has taken place in the environment. You have the Pope coming out with an encyclical not too long ago, and he's in that encyclical is just focusing on the environment, saying, hey, we've got to do something. We've got to come together. We've got to treat the environment better. A great message. We do need to love and care for the creation that God has given us. But it's interesting the things that he goes on to say. He talks in there about the benefit that would take place from a Sabbath's rest. And here you have him coming to speak to our Congress in September or October. And the focus in the United Nations in October on, on the environment, he's going to be speaking to them as well. Last year you have uh, the ecumenical movement is, is strengthening as the Pope sent a video over to a bunch of Uh, evangelical Christians and encouraging them that, hey, we need to set aside our differences. And specifically, he says, it's the glory that unites us, not the doctrines. 
So you see, there is, there is a tricky line here in that we can press towards Jesus. We can try to pursue Jesus and we can say, hey, let's just have Jesus without all the doctrine, without all the disagreements. Let's just focus on Jesus. Does that work? Did it work for Jesus? Was that something that Jesus was okay with? Go with me to John chapter 6. In John chapter 6, you find the story, first of all, of Jesus feeding the 5,000. There he is, and the disciples say, hey, Jesus, we don't have enough bread to feed all of these people. And Jesus says, well, Jesus told them, well, you feed them. And, and Jesus ends up blessing the bread and, and breaking it for 5,000 people so that they're all able to eat. And so they all come to him wanting to crown him as king. So they say, here's somebody who would be the perfect king. We can take over the Romans because we'll be able to just live off this bread that he multiplies for our army. Our army will be invincible because we'll have bread anytime we need it. It's just like following Moses in the wilderness. So Jesus takes time aside and he goes up on the mountain to pray. He sends off his disciples on the sea. And then he comes walking to them in the middle of the night. And he joins them on, walking across the water. And then in, starting in verse 22, it talks about how the multitudes all come looking for Jesus. So what do the multitudes want at this point? They want to be united with Jesus. They want to come close to Jesus. But what is the reason that they want to be close to Jesus? It's because they want the bread. They want all those blessings. Hey, Jesus, it's good news to be following you. I like being close to you because you feed us. So Jesus, feed us again. Do that cool thing where you bless the bread and give us breakfast this morning. And you would think that, that Jesus would just respond because who doesn't want to have a mass of people following you? If I was able to multiply bread so that this church could be full every Sabbath, I think I might just keep multiplying it. You know, how, how tempting would it be to just want to fulfill the needs of these people and keep them following you? But Jesus launches into one of the most difficult teachings for the Jews that he does in all of his ministry. He begins to tell them, you know, they say, hey, show us a sign to show us that you are like Moses who has come. Show us a sign from heaven. And, and Jesus begins to say, you know what? What you need is to eat my flesh and drink my my blood. And he's talking to Jews who t blood was unclean to them. And to think of eating a human being, that would be a terrible thing to a Jew. And so here Jesus is challenging them. He begins to say, you don't need my blessings. You need me. You need what I have to offer you. He goes on down. And in verse 63, he explains more fully what he's talking about when he talks about his flesh. John 6 and verse 63 he says, it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. He says, it's my word that you need. You don't need this physical food that I, that I blessed you with just the day before. What you really need is my word. Because my word will transform your life. My word is more powerful than physical food. What you need is to receive my word and to follow it. And that will bring you true life. Well, why don't they just accept it? Why don't they just follow him? Apparently, they weren't ready to follow all that Jesus had called them to do. 
Apparently, this wasn't enough for them just to have Jesus' words. They wanted blessings in their lives. They wanted to follow Jesus only if their life was good. But to follow Jesus when he didn't offer bread but only wanted to speak to them, they weren't so sure about that. So in verse 66, it says this, From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Some of the saddest words in the Bible to think of these thousands of people who are following Jesus, they're pressing close to Jesus, and when Jesus refuses to give them the sign that they're looking for and says, no, what you need is my word, they say, all right, we're out of here. We're not going to follow you anymore because you don't fulfill our needs like we expected. And they walk away from Jesus. Can you imagine how this broke Jesus' heart? Here he was longing for them to come into the everlasting life that he was offering them through his word. Here he was longing for them to draw closer to him. And yet they walked away from him. You can only imagine how that broke their hearts. So Jesus looks around and he looks at his disciples. Can you imagine that group of disciples? How was it that they managed to live together? You know, when Jesus called them to himself to be with him, they became united closely. Here they are living together day in and day out. This group of 12 men who from all perspectives shouldn't have been able to get along. You had James and John. What were they known as? The sons of thunder. They had this terrible temper that when a a city didn't treat Jesus right, they said, call down fire from heaven and consume that village, Jesus. You had Matthew, who was a tax collector. So tax collectors were basically traitors to the Jews because the Romans were the overpowering, they were ruling over the Jews. And so a tax collector was collecting taxes on behalf of this oppressive power. Then you also had Simon, who was known as a zealot. Not Simon Peter, but another Simon. He's known as a zealot. Now, they say that zealots carried around daggers in their robes. And they carried these daggers around because they wanted insurrection. They wanted to do away with the Romans. They were willing to do whatever it took to take out the Romans. So if they got the chance, they would stab traitors. They would stab Romans. They would do whatever it took in order to take out the Roman power. So you have Simon the Zealot, who's ready to take out traitors. And then you have Matthew the tax collector, the traitor, sleeping in the same camp every night. How does that work? How can a group of people who don't see eye to eye, how could they ever get along like this? It was because they were united with the love of Jesus. The closer we come to Jesus, the more that we press towards Jesus, even though there are some differences among us, the more that we're going to be able to love each other despite those differences, the more that we're going to be able to to see that that person sitting next to us is God's child and deserves our love So Jesus looks around at this point and he looks at this group of disciples who they still didn't fully get it. They were often arguing about who was the greatest and who was going to sit on the right hand of Jesus, who was going to sit on the left hand. They were a motley group. But Jesus goes on to say this in verse 67. Then Jesus said to the twelve, do you also want to go away? He says, look, the multitudes are leaving me. Do you want to leave too? He gives them that option. He gives them that out because Jesus wants followers who are committed to his word. He says, do you want to leave too? 
Are you going to walk away from me? I can only imagine the sadness that must have been in Jesus' voice. Here were men that he loved dearly. And he says, are you too going to walk away from me? But Simon Peter answered him, verse 68, Lord, to whom would we go? Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words of eternal life. Peter says, where else would we go? The only thing that matters is that we have your words because your words are life to us. They have quieted the storms in our life. When we were out on the Sea of Galilee and that massive storm was there, you said, peace be still. Jesus, all we need is your word. They recognize that to follow Jesus means to follow his word. In John 17, when Jesus is making that final prayer and he's praying to the Father and he says, Father, I want for them to be one as you and I are one. Something that many Christians are quoting and saying, hey, we just need to come together. We just need to be united in Jesus. Jesus also prayed in John 17, verse 17, sanctify them by thy truth. Thy word is truth. You see, we can't separate Jesus from truth. We can't have unity without truth. Jesus himself said in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You can't have truth without Jesus, and you can't have Jesus without truth. You can't have it both ways. If we're going to follow Jesus, if we're going to be united, then we need to be united on his word. We need to be willing to follow whatever he calls us to do. We need to be willing to step out no matter what he asks us to do, even if it's difficult. You know, when the disciples came to Jesus and asked him, hey, are there going to be many who are saved in the kingdom? In Luke 13, 24, he says, many will seek to enter, but few will strive and enter thereby. Few there are who are willing to truly follow Jesus. Jesus in Matthew 7 called it the narrow way. said there's the broad way that leads to destruction that many people are going to go down, but press together. Unite together. Unite in Jesus in the narrow way. Unite in the truth that he's given us. Unite in the Bible. Today, we don't have the privilege of hearing Jesus speak with his physical voice on a regular basis, but we do have the precious word of God that has been preserved for thousands of years. And Jesus has preserved it just for you and I. Because there's coming a day. We're told in Revelation chapter 12 and verse 17 that the dragon was wroth with the women, woman and went off to make war with a remnant of her seed who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus. In Revelation 14, 12, it tells us that here is the patience of the saints. Here are those that keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. Revelation 14 verse 4 says that there's going to be a group who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. We're living in uncertain times. The winds are blowing. There are all kinds of doctrines, all kinds of things out there. And what we need is to be united in Jesus. And that's going to come as we're united in truth. And as we press together, as we pull into each other's wheel, we pull into that pace line, we're going to find But it's a whole lot easier to make it through the headwind when we're united, when we don't forsake the assembling of ourselves together. When we press together, there is power. I love what it says in Councils for the Church, page 290. It says, strive 
earnestly for unity. Pray for it. Work for it. It will bring spiritual health, elevation of thought, nobility of character, heavenly mindedness, enabling you to overcome selfishness and evil surmisings and to be more than conquerors through him that loved you and gave himself to you. There's power when we're united. There's strength when we come together in unity, when we're focused on Jesus. Testimonies, Volume 6 says, A few converted souls uniting for one grand purpose under one head, that's Jesus Christ, will achieve victories in how many encounters? In every encounter. Friends, when we unite in Jesus, when we unite on his word, when we unite focused on the one thing that matters, we will have victories at every encounter as we trust in Jesus. We saw in Sabbath school the uh, general conference session, Elder Wilson speaking. Last night they had a special appeal, and that was for something called Believe His Prophets. There's a, for the next five years, the general conference takes place every five years, and they're recognizing the need for us as Seventh-day Adventists to be rooted and grounded in the Word of God. They're saying we need to provide a way where we can be united in the Bible. For the past five years, we've done something called Revive by His Word, where week by week, we've been reading, actually day by day, one chapter a day, all the way up until they read Revelation chapter 22 yesterday, finishing out the five years. Well, now we're facing five more years until the next general conference session. So they're starting something called Believe His Prophets, a powerful experience where you can daily have emailed to you a Bible passage. The first one is going to be Genesis chapter 1. And on a weekly basis, you'll have some devotional reading from Ellen White's writings emailed to you. Powerful things that can unite us as a church family as we read the Word of God together. So I want to invite you, if, if maybe this sounds like something that could be a powerful experience to you, go to the website, revivalandreformation.org. I'll also have some bookmarks in the back that have the website on the front of them. But if you go to, to revivalandreformation.org and you'll see the banner for Believe His Prophets, you click on that, you sign up, and you'll get this Bible chapter. There's also some comments on the chapter by different people from Mark Finley to Derek Morris and a lot of other authors just doing a, a short a paragraph about it. A powerful daily devotional experience. But more than anything, doesn't matter if If you necessarily follow that program, although I think it's going to be an awesome one, I'm going to be doing it, and it gives us something to talk about, saying, hey, did you read this chapter? And we can compare notes and say, hey, did you notice this or that? And it it unites us when we're reading together. But more than anything, make sure that you're taking that time to know the truth for yourself, because Jesus is the truth. Don't forsake the gathering together of yourselves. You may feel like you're doing fine, but when you take a coal out of the fire and it sits there, you'll notice that the fire dies out very quickly. It's the same way with us. When we're separated from the body, we're going to quickly lose our fire. Do not forsake the gathering together of yourselves. Because in unity, there is strength. In unity, we come closer to Jesus. And in unity, we experience more of the power of the Holy Spirit than we could in any other way. That's what you find in Acts chapter 1. The Holy Spirit 
is poured out because they're in one accord in that upper room throughout Acts chapter 1 in verse 2 when in chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit is poured out says they were all together in one place and in one accord. Friends, if you want a deeper filling of the Holy Spirit, if you want more of Jesus, do whatever it takes to meet together. Join a Bible study group. If you aren't a part of a Bible study group and you'd like to be, let me know. There's Bible study groups that are already meeting or we can form new Bible study groups. But the more that we meet together to talk about Jesus, to read about Jesus, to grow in our love for Jesus, to encourage each other to love and good works, the more that we're going to be ready for that amazing day when Jesus comes back in the clouds to take us home. Let's pray together. Father, Unity isn't something natural for us. Naturally, when we get together, it's all too easy for us to have division and strife and discord. And Lord, we're looking for that miracle here in Templeton Hills, that miracle that Jesus prayed for. He said, Father, may they be one as you and I are one so that the world may know that you sent me. Lord, we want the world to know that Jesus has come. And they're going to recognize it when we are united. So we're asking that you work this miracle in us. Lord, as we focus on Scripture, as we focus on truth, as we focus on knowing Jesus more for ourselves, as we focus on coming together to talk about Jesus, please bring us that unity. Bring us the love of Jesus. Thank you so much. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.